0: Tonight we're going to talk about Ephesians 3. If you got your Bible, that's great. If not, I'm, I'm going to talk through it a little bit. Um, if you don't follow us on Instagram, we kind of do this thing where we talk about one of the chapters and then the next week uh, we have one of our leaders kind of give a summary and then a reading that goes with it. Um, But in Ephesians 1, what you have is Paul talking about what he calls this mystery of God. And what he's talking about is God's forgiveness for all people. This incredible amount of forgiveness that he gives us that you're like, how how in the world can he forgive all people? And then in Ephesians 2, he says, listen, you were dead in your trespasses. You couldn't do it yourselves, but God, who's rich in mercy because of his great love, Loves you enough to make you alive together with Christ again, and and in Ephesians three, it's kind of this interesting thing where Paul starts on this little track and he stops, and it's like, hey, I, I, you, you've heard about this, right? And it's like he's you can see in Ephesians three one, he like hops off and starts talking about this thing, and it's like, it's not planned, it's not what he was planning on saying, but it's this little thing. And I have a couple of those things that I just like, it's not always what I plan to say, but it just is what comes out. And uh, one of those is a phrase that one of my friends kind of came up with, and I want to tell you the story behind it. Uh, I end up saying it all the time, and I want you guys to know what that means. So uh, when I was in college, I met this guy. I didn't know him in high school, but um, he was dating this girl in high school. They dated for like two and a half years, and in high school, that's like 10 years. Like That's like dating somebody forever. And he was dating this girl, and like a couple weeks before prom, he was like, I just didn't see a future with her anymore, and he was like, I thought the nice thing to do is to just go ahead and cut the head off the snake, like just end it where it is, let it be dead in the water, and he was like, so I I broke up with her like two and a half weeks before prom, which like again in, in high school terms is like, I mean that's the worst thing you can do to someone, and so he was like, all of our friend groups were like, losing their minds because they dated for so long. And he was like, my, my parents knew her parents. And it was kind of this, this big thing and, and with our group of friends. And, and he said, it kind of all came to a head whenever her mom called my friend. His name's Tyler. And she called Tyler. And she said, he said that she just ran her up one side and down the other. I mean, called him everything in the book. And just, he said it was just an awful conversation. And he's just like, man, this is the worst. And right before she gets off the phone, she goes, hey, Tyler. He said, yeah. She goes, you don't deserve to smile anymore. And he goes, that's when I lost it. He was like, I thought that was the funniest thing anybody could ever say to another human being, and she hung up the phone. So he told some people that story, but, but the reason that he would tell people that story is because he developed this little phrase, and, and me and a lot of my friends use it now, uh, when someone's like, man, you should go have a LaCroix, he goes, ah, oh, I don't deserve it. And it was just this kind of funny little thing, because like I say it at restaurants, and somebody's like, oh, you going to have a Coke? So, like, I'll just have a water. Oh, you I don't deserve it, like, and it makes people go like, "Oh, you do? Oh, okay. I don't, do. You not work? Did you not work out today? Or like, what? What is it that you don't deserve? Like, it makes people a little uncomfortable, but also kind of feel bad for you. And I, I've tried to stop saying it, but it just kind of falls out. Like, it's just I think it's funny. It puts people a little bit, just the right amount of on edge. Um, but, but really, and I had to be careful. And I had this this conversation with my wife a couple weeks ago of like, my sense of humor can be so self-deprecating that I'm like. Maybe I don't deserve it. Like, maybe maybe I just haven't been that good lately. Um, but it's one of those things that you start to say, and you start to believe, and you start to kind of, it's one of those things you say to yourself all the time, and then you go, okay, is that, do, do I deserve it? What do I deserve? And, and I think there are some things that kind of like, maybe it's something someone said to you, or maybe it's uh, when you were at your lowest or when you were at your worst. Maybe it was a bad season of life that if you're not careful, you, you lay in bed at night, and that's what defines you, right? Like, you can have a great mental day, and then you lay down to go to bed, and you remember every dumb thing that you've ever said to any person in the service industry. And you're like, that person thinks I'm the dumbest person in the world. And that's how they remember me. I remember one time I was getting my oil changed, and this lady asked, she was like, what's your, what's your phone number? And I couldn't remember it. And I'm like, someone out there thinks that I just cannot remember my phone number off the top of my head. But it, it's bigger than that, too, where sometimes we can convince ourselves like man because of that thing that someone said to you hey you're always going to be that that's just who you are that's what you get to be that's everything about you it's what defines you it's what narrates your life is that maybe one sentence and maybe it's not i don't deserve it but it's maybe hey you're the guy in high school that did that thing or you're that girl or you're the once you did that thing you're you're depressed you have anxiety i'll always be and we start to kind of let some of these words and some of these things define us and to hear paul start to talk about himself. And and if you don't know about Paul, Paul was like the worst. And I'm not trying to be uh, facetious or over speaking, but like when the church came around, I mean, he was one of the people that was kind of in on the church. And then Jesus came in and kind of flipped the script on everything. And he said, no, 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 Jesus doesn't get to do that. You still need to play the rules by the book. You don't get to live life that way. And anybody who was following Jesus, he would say, no, I'm going to take you to the church. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be imprisoned and tortured because you're not doing things the way that I see that they should be done. You don't get to flip the script like that. And he's actively doing that. I mean, one of the, the first spot you see him in the Bible is that this murder of this guy who's doing these good things for God and this group brings him out and kills him. And it says that Paul was there. And then it says in the next chapter that he, he's just still going on and still experiencing what he's doing to people. It's, it's just awful. But Paul's conversion is this story where God meets him on this road, and he has this experience where he goes blind. He sees this bright light, and God tells him, hey, you're going to do good things for me, so go to this place. And he goes to this place, and at the same time, God talks to a believer there named Ananias, and he says, hey, you should go to this place, meet this person named Saul. You have something for him. You, you, you need to disciple him. You need to teach him about Jesus. And there's this phrase that Ananias uses where he goes, um... I've heard about Saul, was his name before Christ, because I've heard about Saul, and I've heard he does some bad things, and I I don't know how he was talking to God in that moment of like, hey, I've heard, God, I don't know about you or your ability to hear about these things, but it doesn't sound like maybe you know, he's not the best guy, maybe he's not the guy that you want him to be or you're thinking about, maybe he's not the guy that you want to use, but he goes ahead and goes, and Pause this experience where he's just changed completely, and then he gets to spend time with believers there in Damascus, and just, his world is just completely changed. So in Ephesians 3, what he's mostly talking about is like, I got the mystery of the gospel. I got the, the mystery of God's grace and full forgiveness that just doesn't make any sense. And I get to be a part of this group that it's, it's Jews, it's Gentiles, it's people all over the world that they have nothing in common except that Jesus has fully and completely forgiven them. And he's, it's like he just can't get that out of his mind. But there's this little phrase and I want to read it to you. There's this little phrase in verse 8, I'll start in verse 7. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And this is verse 8, and this is where uh, he, he uses a phrase that's not quite self-deprecating, but it's close. In verse 8, he says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace was given. And he's not being self-deprecating. He says, I'm the least of these. And in different spots, he said, I was the chief of sinners. Like, he said, I'm the the least of these people, but I'm the best, worst one. So call it whatever you want. But he's like, man, I'm not being self-deprecating. He's like, I was bad. I was the worst towards people that love Jesus, that wanted to be changed by him. And then he goes on to say, I get to do this. I get to tell people about the grace that changed my life. See, he could have looked back and gone like, man, I, maybe these people are going to hear about the bad things that I did in the past. Maybe they're going to hear about who I used to be, and maybe they're not going to accept me for who I really am. But he kind of places his preferences and his thoughts of himself behind who Christ has told him that he is. Hey, you're new. You're a recipient of this forgiveness, Paul could have lived in the wallowing thought of, man, I've, I've had people tortured that love this God that I've been changed by. I, I can't go and do big things in God's name. But instead he goes, man, I, I've been made a minister. It's not my doing, it's God's doing. He gets to choose my big purpose. He gets to choose what it is that I get to do with my life. And I think some of us are still living with some of those old things, those old labels, those old things that live in our mind rent free that we're just told, yeah, you'll never be who God really wants you to be, because you had that season where you walked away, because you did what you did in high school, because you did what you did in college, because you, you dated that girl, you did that stuff, because you, you, you we weren't raised in it, so you don't really know. Hey, you, because you don't have a crazy story like everybody else, you can't really be used by God. But the language that Paul uses next, I think, is really defining on what he considers who can be used by God. He says, to me, though I'm the very least of all these saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what's the plan of the mystery for ages of God who created all things. He's saying, I, I, I was made a minister. It wasn't my choosing. It wasn't what I did. See, God didn't just save him and go, okay, you, you can be kind of this second tier, third tier. Hey, you did something good. Now you're going to kind of move on. Why? Because you've got this ugly past, so we're not really going to use you in that way, where maybe we need somebody with a clean slate. Because think about it from Paul's perspective. He could have sat back and said, man, I don't deserve to to show these people. I've done all these bad things. And I think if you're a believer and you're here tonight, you have to ask yourself, what what are those phrases? What are those things that, maybe it's not the term I don't deserve it. But maybe it's something that you have to look back and say, that's a lie that I'm letting Satan live in my head and I'm not being as effective for God. I'm letting something else besides God's word, besides God define who I am and change everything about the trajectory of my life because, well, that season defines who I am. That situation, your upbringing, that pain that came in, that mistake gets to define who I am. And Paul comes in and says, Man, it's so much bigger than that. I've been made a minister. It's almost like he can't help it. But in, in earlier earlier, he uses the word steward. He's like this, this holder, this administrator of sharing the gospel out with people. The the, the analogy that I was, I was reading about this was about. Town criers and like Paul Revere, the guy who, you know, he hears that the British are coming by sea or by land, and you go and you tell how the British are coming, and you tell everyone, hey, this is what's happening. He learns the information, then he shares it with all the people who need to hear it. That's what Paul's saying that his role was now. Man, I've received the good news. I've received the help. Now I'm going to go share it with all the people that are around me. I need it just as much as anyone else. Then... To think about our role, like what Paul got to see, the people around him being used for the purpose of God. Think about Ananias. Think about the believers that were in Damascus. That if they said, whoa, this guy's off limits. He's crazy. Like, we don't know his backstory. He's done all this stuff. But they said, no, I'm going to be obedient to God with what I have today. And I I can minister to this one guy. I can do that. They weren't defined by their cultural, their personal limitations. They were defined by what God called out in them. And I would challenge anyone who's a believer here today to say, who gets to define you? Who gets to, de- to own, hey, you're mine? Um, we have three little boys. One of them's here, Thatcher, and uh, we have uh, our middle son's named Jetson. We have oddly named kids. And uh, I remember our, our middle son was four or five months old. We brought him to Thanksgiving. And I have a grandpa who tries his best, and he, he kept coming over to me asking how uh, Jasper was. And I was loving it. I loved every second of, of <laughs> Grandpa I'm thinking I had a son named Jasper. And he can think that his name is Jasper, but I, as his father, get to decide what his name is. I get to decide how he's raised. And if you're a believer, God gets to decide what your name is. God gets to decide what your purpose is in your life. God gets to decide the most important things about you. God gets to decide you your obedience. He- he cares so much about you. He's not just going to let you go, okay, hey, I know you've done some stuff and you can kind of live this second-tier Christianity life. He goes, no, I have a big, meaningful purpose for your life and I want you to follow me with everything that you have and leave that old label behind. Because there's going to be people that want to come in and define, well, you're that guy. You did that thing. You, you could be defined by any number of things, but it's God who gets to define you. Paul talks about that revelation that he came to know Christ under And that's what we see in Ephesians 2. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, what Paul is really communicating here to this group in Ephesus is that he's just kind of shaken. That like, I get to do this. Why? Because I was no one when it came to the world's terms. I had done all the wrong things. I had moved in the wrong direction. I was not doing anything right. I wasn't doing anything to move towards God. And what he uses in the chapter before this is, I was dead. Dead things don't move towards God the right things. And you can look at your past and go, man, I've tried to make little steps. I've tried to do what's right. That's why God sent his son because there's nothing we could do to walk towards him but to just say, God, you have shown us your love and I just get to live in it. I just get to be thankful. My obedience falls out of the thankfulness for God sending his own son to love us. In first John, it says, because of his love with which he's loved us, he sent his son Jesus to be the, the, the forgiveness of our sins. In Jeremiah, it says, if you seek me, you'll find me. And in Romans it says, if anyone believes, he'll be saved. All those words are anyone, all. That there's not any person here, there's not any one thing that you could have done that God looks at and says, You can't be forgiven. Paul is talking to this church, and he says the only thing that could have brought this random, crazy, different group of people together is because they're part of people that have been changed and forgiven by God. It doesn't matter what you've done, that you can be forgiven, that Christ defines you. All you have to do is give your life to Him. I'm going to ask you to bow your head, and and I want to ask those two questions. If you're a believer, who's getting to define you? Are you living God's purpose? Are you letting someone else, something else, live that definition for you? Who gets to define you? Who gets to call you by your name? And if you don't know Jesus and you're just starting this out, are you defined by Christ? Or are you defined by something else? Ephesians 2 says that God's forgiveness is a gift. If you're given a gift, you just have to receive it, open it, accept it as yours. And the truth is, is that God loves you so much that he sent his son so that you could have a life together with God again, be reconnected with your creator, be forgiven of your entire sin debt. And that's what Ephesians 3 is all about. Paul just can't get over that you've been forgiven. And it's available to anyone. So I'm going to ask you tonight, just where you're at, if you've not done that, will you just raise your hand or look at me right now? I would love to just talk with you afterwards about what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's a simple process. of praying a prayer like, God, I, I know that I've done wrong and I know that I've let other things define me. But God, I want you to define me. I want you to be everything in my heart and in my life. You don't have to know everything. I didn't know everything when I first gave my life to Christ, but I knew that I wanted him to define me. We'd love to meet with you at Next Steps afterwards. Buy those t-shirts in the back. Answer any questions that you might have. But I think it's important to mark a moment that on June 22nd, of 2021, that you mark the moment that this is the, the moment that I was defined by Jesus and not anything else. And if you're a believer, let's rejoice in that, that our Savior, that our Creator defined us, loves us, So much that he's not going to leave us where we are. He's going to give us a new purpose, a new life, a new hope.